You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Utebeer Podcast. I am your host, Raj Baines, and joining me is Rory Benton. Hello. Rory, how are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. Why did you speak before I introduce you properly? When? Just then. You broke the unofficial rule of being introduced on the podcast. No, that's fine. If I didn't say your name, people might have assumed we'd traded up and got someone better in <laughs> <laughs> No, Mel's on holiday, so... <laughs> um, right, uh, slightly odd one with the last podcast, if we explain to people why it goes funny after a few minutes. Strange one, we can't really work it out ourselves, which is why we've not really told anyone that, because it's not really worthwhile information to hear, but the file's actually fine. If you come into the examiner office, we'll happily play you it off the, <laughs> the laptop. Um, but there some, seems to be some issue when it uploads to the host platform. We've raised it with their technical people because it's something that's... Uh, is it either above our pay grade or below it? I'm not sure there's anything below our I pay think grade. just above our intelligence. <laughs> level, so we've we've alerted people who should be able to fix it, but we haven't heard anything back from them as yet. So, um, yeah, enjoy the first five minutes for now. And then hopefully... It's all downhill from there anyway. Yeah, it's just me slagging off Tony Pulis for 40 (laughs) minutes. Um, I mean, if you read my tactical preview, it was that, but just with my voice instead. Um, If we do talk about the football instead, uh, because I think it's worthwhile, we had a slight discussion and falling out over sort of West Brom being crap at football. Um, Are you willing to accept you were wrong and that I was right and that they're terrible at football? I never said they were terrible. I think I think actually there's only one one person in this room who said they had Europa League standard players in their team. They had one Europa League standard player. Well, in their team. yeah. Now you're backtracking. I think I said that. I think I was more on the money than you were last uh, last podcast. That but we'll never know. We actually predicted the lottery numbers on that one mm-hmm. and uh, shared the meaning of life, but. It's a shame it's lost forever. Yeah. But genuinely, what did you make of West Brom? Because I, you know, my opinion on that type of football. I was I was mad from about thirty seconds in. Yeah, it was it wasn't a great standard of football um, that West Brom brought to the John Smith Stadium. There was not really any sort of adventure in their play or anything like that. You can kind of see why teams set up like that. And personally, I don't have a problem with it. But I don't. I wouldn't have a. I don't think the West Brom fans would even have a problem with it anyway if they were winning games. Chanting at the end, Tony Pulis. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. And they, they've got a problem with it, but they haven't had a problem with it for the last two years when it's worked. It's just now not working. So, obviously, they're going to want a change of, of manager. I can't... <laughs> there's not really m- many redeeming features about the way that Tony Pulis sets up teams if you're not winning games. Okay. Because it's not e- exciting. It's it's just nothing. And if you've if you've not if you got can't a pass it off as a necessary evil. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it, it seems to be a bit of a change on the horizon at West Brom. What did you make of how Town went about playing against that? Because they did what we thought they were going to do and went to a four-two-three-one, which is interesting. Tom Ince came into the middle. If we talk about Sabiri for a minute. Where's he gone? Is it, we've not heard anything about an injury or anything, or any problems with sort of attitude. We saw him score that brilliant goal against Leeds in the youth team and what have you, and he looked fairly bright in the odd first team appearance he made. But since then, he's sort of just been ostracised. He's just dropped off the face of the world. To be honest, <laughs> like, I've not seen him in in forever. He's gone um, on holiday with Mel. <laughs> well, he has actually gone. Well, not on holiday, but he's gone away with the town players to uh, to Marbella. So. Hopefully he can, maybe it's just a bit of a fitness thing and, and he can get that sorted over the international break and come back and really make his mark on the team. Um, yeah. But you never know, like, I think one thing that would 
sort of bring me confidence in him is that David Wagner did probably something similar when Michael Heffler joined last year. He didn't play for the first sort of eight to ten games uh, and then really solidified his position and, and made it his own. So, you know, hopefully uh, we can see something a bit more, a, a bit in the Michael Heffler mould and, and see him coming through sort of after the international break. The problem with that, though, is that Casey Palmer will be back, so it's almost as if his direct competition will be increased. So the the ideal place to have played him when Palmer's yeah. injured was now. So it's it's a strange situation, but I'm sure we'll sort of hear an explanation and, and see why and all that as the weeks and months progress. But it was just one that immediately cropped up to me when the yeah. team sheet was announced and everything that they rejigged it. Um. The other thing, if we start with the negative stuff first and then get on to the obvious positives and everything like that, I think that works out better. Um, Elias Kachunga, a top scorer last season, fantastic sort of drive and impetus that he brought into the team. His enthusiasm on and off the field um, is a joy. If you've ever seen the way he behaves with the other players and um, just the way he acts with the general public and everything, he's... There's, there's a reason why pretty much every kid in the programme says he's their favourite player. He's he's an infectious person, but that doesn't seem to have translated onto the field as well as it has done. Last season, there, there was a few muscle complaints and obviously that started towards the tail end of last season and it's carried on a bit now, which tends to happen with players who are, are full of pace and what have you because you know, muscular injuries are more common when you're using them more. Yeah. Um, but is there any concerns from you that he just seems to be there at the minute? There doesn't seem to be anything particularly bad about his performances, but then again, there's not anything particularly brilliant either, away from, I would say, his defensive work rate, yeah. which is still regularly excellent. I think, yeah, you've got to mention his, his work rate and, and the work he does defensively for the team. It might not be the most eye-catching stuff, and it might not be the stuff that you really want your winger to be known for, but it's stuff that's important and it's... You know, it, it helps town defend the way they have been defending. Obviously, the goals aren't coming this season like they did last year, um, and the assists maybe aren't there as well. Him and Tommy Smith don't seem to have brought that sort of bond they had in the Championship into the Premier League so far. But it's going to take time to adjust to that to that top flight, um, and you, you just want to give him as many games as possible really on that right hand side to try and sort of play himself into a bit of form um, as I said it's not that he's playing badly like going backwards and defending and that kind of thing it's just going forwards he seems to be maybe not as direct as he was in the championship um, happier to come back and, and play it a bit safer maybe um, it might that might just be a, a sign of someone who's la- lacking confidence at the minute um, he's obviously lacked goals for a certain amount of time so yeah, hopefully he'll get a first goal and he'll sort of start to go on a roll. But I wouldn't say it's worrying me at the minute, but it's definitely something to monitor. Uh, and it's definitely something David Wagner will be monitoring going into the next few games. As, as you said, Casey Palmer's going to be back. So maybe that means Rajiv Van has been in sensational form, goes on to the left. Tom Ince moves out onto the right and Casey Palmer down the middle when he's when he's uh, fit and healthy. So I think that's we'll actually see. Town's strongest team. Um, that formation you just said there because mm-hmm. you can't drop Tom Ince because he's regularly brilliant going forwards the final product isn't quite there but he's contributing and he's always a, the door a part the there yeah it, he's, I think it's one of those where as soon as there's one they'll all come mm-hmm. um, which you know, I think people say a lot and it's a bit of a cliche you see players who never get that one and <laughs> the floodgates never open but he, he genuinely does look as if if you work hard enough, then you get the rewards, and mm. I think he's he's very much in that camp. And the fact that town fans don't look at all sort of disappointed with him, or uh, one thing that I used to gauge players is you know the old grumpy people that sit around me, who are they picking on, who are they you know not entirely on board with. In the past, it was Zanker and Van Lepara and players like that, and they've never once mentioned Tom Mint. So I think that that is clearly translating to even the people who are more ready to um, sort of more kick cynical. a player yeah. before before this time. To, but um, especially with Van Parra as well, who's been amazing, I think we should probably talk about the goal now. Uh, I've tried to build up to it a little bit, but we're, we're there now. I mean, I've seen him try that shot maybe a hundred times. 
it's landed in the top tier of the fantastic media, 90 of them. But this one was, he couldn't, if he picked up the ball and placed it in the goal, he couldn't have got it any better. No, it was absolutely perfect. And it, like, I think one thing to mention is that Ben Foster has probably been in the top five keepers in the league in the last few years for West Brom. He's really, since he, he, he had a rough start to his career and didn't make it at international level for England and didn't make it at Man United, but since he's been at West Brom, he's been fantastic. And he just got nowhere near it. He did his best um, impression of the Greece goalkeeper in 2001 for that Bex free kick. <laughs> but that just shows just how <laughs> how high and wide Van Lepara set that ball off. It looked like it was ballooning over and then somehow dipped and bent at the last minute. It was just absolutely perfect. And it's a disgrace that it didn't win goal of the weekend as well on the Sky Sports website. That was... Um, it was Alvaro Morata that they went for. We've had a fans. disagreement about this because I, I very much like the aesthetics of that header and you said it's just a header. It's a, yeah, it's a header, mate. And he was unmarked. Whereas Rajiv Van Paris has pulled it out from the toppest of top draws for me, I 25 think yards. <laughs> the Morata goal, because the, the cross is so obvious and the quality of that ball is, is, you know, his intention is to set up a header like that and he could probably try and bury that as he did, but it was just one of those, it looked like a FIFA goal, sort of the way it worked, and I think that was the reason why I liked it so much, because you don't tend to, tend to see that type of goal too much. You do see the odd strike from range, not from Van Lepara, but in general you do. Um, but it was, it, I, the conversation I actually had with my friend as we were leaving the stadium was, in sort of the five, six, seven years we've been going regularly, have we seen a better goal at, the John Smiths on that, and we, there's one or two that have rivaled it. I think the most recent. His has been away. He's not scored yeah, a true, proper true. cracker yeah. um, at home yet. Um, the one that actually rivaled it and we settled on was <laughs> the, actually almost two years to the day, of, maybe is actually two years to the day, is when Wagner was announcing that Leeds mm. game. Alex Mowat scored an absolute screamer in the 3 0 game. Yeah. Um, and that's probably the last time somebody did something of that nature. Aidan McGeady did something. Yeah, Aidan <laughs> McGeady scored one for Preston in the three-two last year. And there's there's usually ones for the other team, but there aren't too many town screamers in there. So it was it's nice in that respect as mm-hmm. well. I think it was nice to see because he's a player that does come in for a bit of ridicule and does split opinion, but his work rate has been fantastic this year. He's Clearly, in my opinion at least, more comfortable to the Premier League than he is the Championship because I think the the league and the standard rewards more technically gifted players mm-hmm. than the Championship does, which is where more direct and, and stronger players, if you will, uh, are better off. I mean, a player like Harry Bum, for example, is a perfectly serviceable Championship-level player, but he would look years out of place in the Premier League whereas Van der Parra doesn't uh, because he's got the understanding and the, the basic technical foundation to play the type of football that is rewarded at that level and I think we've seen that in the United game in the early parts of Liverpool one before he was forced off he's going to be somebody I think is actually going to grow into prominence in the first eleven, and I don't think anybody really expected that before the season started yeah, I think he's really he's nailed down that position, hasn't he? When Tom Ince came in and he started playing on the left, you kind of you felt a bit for Rajiv on the power that he wasn't really gonna gonna get a game, but he's really his form has been outstanding. He's played himself into the starting eleven and he's now getting to be like one of those players you, you wanna see on on that list every game. Um as you say, he looks doesn't look out of place in the Premier League at all. Uh going forward and going back. Um and and yeah, he's he's one of those players who just has a bit of magic, which you know can it can earn you points in the champ in the Premier League, uh, especially for a newly promoted side. So you know he's he's earned town two extra points at the weekend, and hopefully he can add a few more. And I think as well, his final product has got so much better this year. Obviously, goals and assists maybe that it hasn't translated into the numbers, but his crossing has been so much better this year than it was in the Championship last year. Uh, I think he's really worked on it in pre-season as well. He looked, he scored a few goals and and made a few assists. So I think he's really worked hard at it, and I think he wants to make an impression in the Premier League. He's definitely doing that. 
One player that has made an impression in the Premier League and somebody we regularly wax lyrical about is Christopher Schindler. Um, and he picked up a early yellow, which is debatable. I think that was a bit... 50-50, wasn't it, really? I think. See him a, giving a foul either way, but yeah. never a yellow card for either of them. Yeah, it was a strange one, but he made a daft decision and got sent off. Naive it was, yeah. Uh, I don't know why he was that high up in the field. I don't know why he thought... Diving in on the yellow card and on the halfway line was a good idea. Centre back as well. What's, <laughs> what's Ahmed Hagazi going to do from there? Uh, I'm not sure, but um, he clearly l- looked mortified by it. And yeah, yeah, and you can't really sort of crucify a player for making one mistake, given how many times he's saved town yeah. in the past. I think the reaction from the crowd singing him off was sort of recognition of that. Uh, the amount of times that. You know, Christopher Schindler has single-handedly helped save points for Huddersfield. It was about time, probably, his teammates banded together and won some points back for him. Uh, he's, he's in credit, if, uh, in my opinion. But the thing that I wanted to pick up on from that, because, to be honest, two yellow cards is two yellow cards. There's not really too much more you can say about that, mm-hmm. is how good Matthias Zanka was at sort of relieving the pressure on him before he made the silly tackle. Because one thing I noticed from, from my seat is... <laughs> After the yellow card tackle went in, Zanka pulled Christopher Schindler across and had a word with him and essentially said, when the balls are coming in and the early presses have to be done, you sit back and I will go forward. And it's usually the other way around. It's clearly an understanding they have that Schindler's the more proactive of the two and Zanka will sweep. Yeah. And they switched that because Zanka recognised his partner needed not to be making those type of tackles. He still had the leeway of not being booked and... He really grew into that role, and even when Schindler was sent off, Zanka was you know pulling people apart, constantly talking, telling Danny Williams to go, where to go. When Hogg was having to fill in, he was helping him. He, you know, constantly speaking to Craney throughout the game and everything. He was a real leader in a way that we haven't seen previously because I think he's even alluded to this himself. When you're next to Christopher Schindler, you you're the deputy, so you let him. You know, lead by example. He does the talking. He does the playing, and you do what's left essentially. Um, but he took that primary position up, and he looked more than confident in it, and more than capable. There was less of the silly passing, and and less of the the poor distribution. And it was one of my sort of favourite Zanka performances today. If you can have one. Um, this early in, into his career, but I think it was the first time that I sort of I looked at him and I thought, "That's outstanding." What about yourself? Yeah, I thought he played really, really well. Um, as you say, it's when you lose Christopher Schindler, it's <laughs> when he went off. You kind of think, "Okay, it can go one or two ways here. Town can really fall apart, and you know West Brom could come behind from come from behind and win, um, or they can galvanise, and that's what they did through Zanka. Really, as he said, he was vocal. He was pulling people around and telling them what to do. Um, and I think that was maybe something that you thought maybe they could have missed with Christopher Schindler off the pitch because he's so vocal. I think it helped towards the end when Chris Lerver came on as well. I think he shored that uh, up defensively. I think Scott Malone had a great game going forward. Um, but I think Chris Chris Lerver's probably better going backwards. Um, and yeah, the, the defence really played well. Also, Chris Lover coming on brings you a, another loud sort of player on the pitch, another captain at his former club. And it was just, um, it was a, a sensational defensive performance. And it was it was two performances from town. It was the town that we've seen go out and get in, get in teams' faces for the first hour uh, and really dominate the match. The passing was sharp. The press was on point the whole game. Um, it was just a perfect sort of, Terrier identity performance, as David Wagner would say. And then as soon as the red card came, you saw the town of Manchester United and Liverpool, the one that could defend well and and repel as many opposition attacks as it took. So it was it was a really, really impressive performance. And I think after the game I said it was the most um most complete town performance I've seen in the Premier League so far. Uh, and I'd absolutely stand by that. I think they, they just performed out their skin, all of them. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go along with that because it was one of the games where they had to do everything because at first they had the initiative yeah. because West Brom never do. And when they went down to 10 men and were a goal up, West Brom obviously had to chase the game more than they did. Their version of chasing the game is just lumping long balls, which was never really going to work. There's yeah. 
terrible football to watch and they should be banned from playing as long as Tony Pulis is in charge of them, in my opinion. Um, it, you know, it was criminal. Um, but it's one of those things where they, they showed their ability to do both sides of the game consistently and do them consistently mm-hmm. well, um, which I'm sure was pleasing for, for them having had a couple of disappointing results. Um, the likes of Swansea and Liverpool. Towards the end of the game as well, I think there was a couple of times where, you know, if you knock enough long balls into the box, you're bound to find somebody's head that's on your team. And, and West Brom did that a couple of times uh, just through sheer bloody mindedness. And Jonas Lossel twice made ridiculous saves. Yeah. Um, I, I'm at a loss to know which one was better. Uh, the first one sort of was akin to the save we saw against Matt Ritchie where he just he spread himself long because he's a tall man and, and got to something that most people wouldn't be able to reach. Mm-hmm. And the second one was just a strong, strong wrist and managed to turn yeah. a ball around. Through a crowd of bodies as well. He yeah. saw that ball late and he somehow managed to get it around the post because you see so many goalkeepers who they see it late and they get fingertips on it and it still ends up in the back of the net but it was a very even Petacek this weekend had the Kevin De Bruyne one which is similar that he got a hand to it but because he didn't have a strong hand it still went in yeah yeah. I thought he was again he's he's probably saved town three points there Um, yeah and that's especially after the slight wobble that he had with the Swansea game and everything he's come back and, and prove to us the goalkeeper that he actually is. Um, yeah, There's, he wasn't at fault for any of the goals at Liverpool and obviously saved the penalty there as well. Mm. So he's, if you're sort of doing a plus minus for him, he's definitely up. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. So. Yeah, he, he's been exceptional and I think we were worried, slightly worried about at the start from the, the sort of things that we heard from Germany, but he's really proved that he's a top, top draw goalkeeper. Um, I think he's in... I think he's about third or fourth in the running for the most clean sheets so far. I mean, David De Gea is massively ahead, but, you know, he's up there. And, and to have Huddersfield Town's goalkeeper in that sort of list to be top three or four, however, wherever he is, is just incredible. Yeah, it is fantastic. And I think it's sort of, it's testament to him and the goalkeeping coaches and whatnot that he's able to have come through that sort of a thing. Mm. I think we saw they were posting sort of, they went out for a meal and everything, the goalkeepers, after the Swansea game. It was clearly sort of a, a bonding experience and make sure they were all sort of on each other's side. At the end of the game, when everyone comes onto the field to congratulate each other, the sub-goalkeepers always run straight across to him and sort of big him up. And there could be a bit of friction there because essentially there's, there's three or four lads there fighting for one shirt, but they almost have their own team within a team. It's almost as if... Goalkeepers' union, isn't it? Yeah, you know how there's, what they call it, special teams in the NFL, yeah, yeah. where they just come out and do random stuff, kickers and whatnot. But, the, you know, they're, they're what goalkeepers are within football. It's an individual position within a team game. It's a, a really strange phenomenon, but he, he he's doing fantastically. I think if the Danish, you know, selectors are watching and the manager, then there's a serious decision to make between him and Kasper Schmeichel because... His form is is far and away better than than what Schmeichel's is. Obviously, he doesn't have the name or the the previous career success. But if you go in via merit, there's only one yeah. decision at present. Um, the other thing is talking about people coming on at the end. David Wagner is an animated man at the best of times, but he was especially animated this time, and I think that was reflected in his his post match comments as well. He said this was a, this was one of his favourite performances ever as town manager um he says it, it meant a lot to him and it sort of it was a a real sort of yardstick for his team which i think it was and i think he's correct in mm-hmm. pointing out um how important do you think it is that the town proved to themselves that you know backs against a wall against teams that may be in a similar sort of area to them in the premier league they will be able to to first outplay and to second repel yeah, I think it is so important to beat the teams around you. There's Everyone puts emphasis on it, and it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it's because it's true. The Man United game, obviously Town got three points there. In a way, they are bonus points. I mean, you have to pick some of them up across the season. but Unless Town are in the European positions, and they are picking up points from yeah, people around exactly. them. <laughs> um, but yeah, but, you know, we, we expect Town to be probably bottom half 
Um, and you know, if you beat the teams around you, you give yourself a, a better position of, of staying up and staying in the top flight. If Town were to finish in the top half of the bottom half, if you will, and I think that's a remarkable. Season. Yeah, it'd be absolutely superb. And the way they'll do that is by beating the West Broms, the Bournemouths next time out, um, the Newcastles that they've already beaten. So it's you know it's going ridiculously well for Town so far. There's obviously going to be a few more bumps on the road as there always is for a newly promoted side and for every team in the Premier League um, you, you never win all your games and you you do go on a few uh, sort of slightly dodgy runs well this is something that actually interests me about sort of town under David Wagner because if you sort of you discount the first half season if you will because that was him were operating with somebody else's team and bedding the ideas across and sort of having to change a lot behind the scenes at the club in order to get it in the sort of shape it needed to be for yeah. his ideas and everything to to be in the right place for the season to follow. If you look at that first full season of the Championship last year, the promotion year, there were times where they would go an entire month undefeated. They'd win six games on the trot. And then all of a sudden they just wouldn't win for four or five games. And it's almost as if that it's not happened as drastically this season. But you can see that almost within them, that sort of when they're up, they're up. But I'm not going to do the Grand Old Duke of York. But when they sort of down, they're down, um, and it's really strange to sort of try and second guess what type of performance it's going to be because you don't know where they're coming from. I think that's probably the only weakness, if you can call it that, just the lack of consistency. But consistency is one of those things that. Unless you're a top six team in the Premier League, I don't think you have. If you were to look at the set of results from everybody in the league, it's it's dependent on the way the fixtures fall. If you, if you get four or five easy games, then obviously it's going to look better. As well, it's anyone can beat anyone in the Premier League. So if you are, say, a Huddersfield Town or a West Brom, you could play four teams and then if you played them on the right day, you can win all four of them. But if yeah. you play them on a bad day, you can lose all four. So it, it just... It's it's kind of it's all in town's hands really because I feel like they've got the squad they've got the manager to be able to stay in the Premier League they just need to be focused they need to keep the discipline um, and just try and keep their form up and obviously it's much much easier being said than done because if you go on a run of bad form it's it's nothing you can really put your finger on to stop it just has to stop at some point so you know it, it's going to be tough for town we're going to have as I said some some bumps on the road but they've put themselves in a really good position after 11 games um, we were speaking earlier and I was saying there's only three teams in Premier League history since 1992 that have been relegated after picking up 15 plus points from the first 11 games so the omens are good for town um, I think there are at least three worst teams in them in the Premier League um, but you know we'll we'll see come May what's what happens if we talk about some of the individual players a bit more, because there's there was a lot of interesting selections and a lot of sort of first timers, everything that we got a, a proper look at properly at home. If mm. that's an English sentence, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but the place I want to start actually is with the captain for the day, Jonathan Hogg, because I think we're actually in danger of taking him for granted because he puts in that same level of performance every week, and it's not a, a six or a seven; it's an eight or a nine. If you putting it in that framework he his work is invaluable the amount of times he he breaks stuff up the amount of times he's responsible for the centre-backs not getting into trouble is remarkable and because he does that so often because you know touch wood he's hardly ever injured and because he doesn't make you know a, a lot of fuss about himself mm-hmm. He goes under the radar in a way that I, he probably doesn't deserve to. Yeah, he's one of those players who, without him in the team, you would you would notice. Yeah. But when he is in the team, you kind of don't because he does all the sort of the less glamorous stuff, the breaking up of play, and you know he gets a polite round of applause here and there, and gives it to Aaron Moy who pulls off a worldy pass, or gives it to Rajiv Van der who sticks one in the top bin or something yeah. like that. So it's kind of. He's he's the glue that keeps town together in the centre of midfield, um, and he's you know he's formed a, an unbelievable partnership with Aaron Moy in the sort of year and a bit that they've been playing together. Uh, Danny Williams has come in, and in when they're in that three as well, they seem to be three very different players who just gel. 
Yeah. Um, I'd also just touch on that, that the way David Wagner sh- shuffled it around from going for a 4-2-3-1 to what ended up being sort of a 4-3-2, I imagine, like sort of going to the 4-3-3, um, was exceptional. And I think that's probably why we've mentioned before why he was so impressed with the performance and so pleased with it. I think it's because quite a lot of it was down to him tactically, but then also the players like Jonathan Hogg performed out of their skin to, to get the three points over the line. And without Jonathan Hogg in the dying minutes, town would have conceded. I'm, I'm pretty convinced about that. Um, maybe he doesn't grab the headlines like Jonas Lursel may have done with his two fantastic saves at the end, but he just, he covers the defence unbelievably well, breaks it up, and also he's, his range of passing might be limited, but what he can do, he does quickly. And when Town are in the transition, they try and transition as quickly as possible. And Jonathan Hogg is key to that because um, he gets the ball out of his feet, gives it to someone else, whether it be you know, just a two-yard pass or something to Aaron Moy, and then they're on the front foot. Um, and that's how they're going to hit people. That's how they're going to hit teams such as West Brom on the counter attack in the Premier League. Yeah, I agree. It's just it's one of those things that I thought about for weeks to to mention Jonathan Hogg on the podcast, but it slipped my mind as well. So it's not as if we're not guilty of doing exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the fullbacks were interesting because he rotated the pair of them the last time he rotated one of them at Swansea. It wasn't the best. Um, we've had a bit of a, a disagreement on this as well. If we start with Hadouji and I, I think we're pretty much on the same page with him. I think it was a as a competent as a debut in the Premier League as you're likely to get. He looked really good going forwards, but didn't overcommit himself. You know, his pace is obviously a good asset. The few times, you know, his delivery took a little bit of warming up to to get to the right standard, but by the end of the game, he was, you know, putting in the type of balls that you imagine once Steve Mooney's back fit, maybe he'll be getting onto the end of. Um, and it was one of those where you saw why he was brought in because he is he is able to do the sort of dual role that Tommy Smith does. He's he's very reliable at the back. His positioning's good. Um, you know, West Brom played five at the back. In theory, it's five. In reality, it's eight. But you know. Kieran Gibbs on that side was going up and down and they had players who would drift out wide, Jay Rodriguez a lot of the time and Rondon when he came on. So there was there were players to keep an eye on. James McLean as well when he was introduced, um, who isn't a slow mm. person by any uh, stretch of the imagination. But he managed to sort of stay as competent as possible. And the fact that people thought he had a, a quiet game isn't a bad thing in my opinion because if you your fullback has a quiet game in a in yeah. a match where you, you kept, you've kept a clean sheet, it just means they've done the job. Um, yeah, I thought he did his job really well. I think he's got a great engine. Yeah, like he's quick, but he's also he was running up and down that wing the whole the whole game. Like he didn't stop. Um, I think he's going to be a really big asset to town this year, um, especially in December. I think there's nine, eight or nine games in December and Tommy Smith isn't going to be able to play them all because, you know, if he picks up an injury or you don't want to overwork him. So Hadouji is going to come in and he's, you know, he's proven that he's more than competent, competent, sorry, as, uh, as Tommy's, uh, as Tommy Smith's understudy. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he's on loan at the minute. I wouldn't be surprised if town bring him in um, full time as, sort of competition for, for Tommy Smith in the right back position, which they've had problems in, in the past, you know, we've had the year Dom saga and all that kind of Forgotten stuff. Forgotten about so, that. Uh, yeah. Let's just sign Dimitri him up. Yeah. Just sign him up. So we don't have to talk about right backs ever again. Well, I want to, uh, we should actually have a look and see how Dimitri Cavari done in the championship. Cause I'd forgotten he existed mm-hmm. since the last time we spoke about him. If I'm being honest. The other fullback position, uh, Scott Maloney, he's been a slightly more divisive one because there are a lot of people that for some reason, maybe it's because he's got a good song, want him to start. And I think that's slightly disrespectful to Christopher Lover because he, he had one shaky game, but he's a fantastic, reliable player. Other than that, when he came on and you know gave a bit of a, a bit of metal on that wing, West Brom soon stopped trying to run down it. Um, and he was a fantastic outlet as well going forward. I haven't seen him run past and through that many players before. He was clearly up for it, uh, which is really good to see. But Maloney, he got man of the match, which 
I'm going to be honest, I'm not on board with. Uh, you seem to be far more appreciative of that decision than than me. But I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't have given him man of the match, maybe. But I thought he was up there. I thought he was sort of top top three players of the pitch. I thought he was excellent. For me, he does the eye catching things going forward. He was obviously a really good outlet in the final stages because of his pace. He did look absolutely knackered at one stage, though. Uh, if we can keep match fitness isn't quite there yet it's uh, understandable which is, it's understandable yeah but it's the fact that when he's doing the eye catching stuff somebody's having to fill in at left back there and the the only times that West Brom got in behind Huddersfield were down the left hand side and that was because Malone had either dived in early and they'd gone around him which isn't great defending or he'd overcommitted going forwards and he'd left a gap there which shouldn't have been before you say that I can't name you one time West Brom got in behind town. I can't remember any time that they threatened in behind. I thought all the threats for West Brom were coming from balls into the box, corners, crosses, that kind of thing, right at the end of the game. It was mainly, they they kept playing a diagonal from right to left that Jay Rodriguez was chasing. Um, What's his name? Hal Robson Carnu was giving flick-ons. The fact that Hal Robson Carnu is a Premier League footballer is beyond me. But if he's going to play it's anywhere, he's turn now, hasn't he? Really? <laughs> well, I was saying this is he's been signed essentially not on the back of a performance, but on the back of one, one goal, yeah. uh, one, one turn, uh, yeah, which is ridiculous. He was terrible at the weekend, and is a. Porridge. I thought he was all right actually. I thought he was one of West Brom's better players. It, it just, I thought he put his body around a bit and, and showed a bit of something, whereas quite a lot of the rest West Brom players didn't really do anything. But is that not just a kind way of saying he ran into people a lot? Yeah, maybe, but that's, that's <laughs> is that maybe, not? but that's more than quite a lot of the other West Brom players did. Uh, I just thought it was. It's not to my taste. I can't talk about West Brom too much because. Just genuinely don't like him, uh, but it, it's not West Brom. It's Tony Pulis. I must make that clear. I've got nothing against West Brom. If they were to hire Marcelo Bielsa tomorrow, I'd be happy, no doubt. But uh, that's a conversation for another day. They kept playing that diagonal. Essentially, there were one or two times where Malone was doing something daft that he shouldn't have done. That I watched him. Maybe I've got confirmation bias here, where I've I'm seeing things that aren't there and, and making sure I've seen mistakes because. I'm a bigger Christopher Lover fan than I am a Scott Malone one. Um, but it's an interesting one going forward because I, I think David Wagner's in the same boat that I am because he he doesn't often um, say negative things about a player. But after, even after that Swansea game, he said that Scott Malone wasn't at the level he thought he would be. Um, yeah, which, the Swansea game was uh, was not a good game for anyone, especially not even Scott Malone in, when he got his chance. He didn't really take it. But even in games in the past where Huddersfield have been legitimately bad he's not a manager to throw people under the bus by name he will he will say things the the thing he often says is we'll learn from this and this won't be long in the memory and things like that but it was one of those times where I think he just went he almost said you know you've asked for this player to play I've played him and he wasn't very good and he was Almost forthright in that's, saying that. That's Swansea, though. I thought West Brom, we saw a different Scott Malone. I thought we saw one who was dynamic going forward. Um, maybe not... He maybe doesn't fill you with the same confidence that Chris Lerva does going backwards. But I think for, for to play West Brom at home, I think Chris, uh, I think Scott Malone is a good shout to start at left-back. Because um, it shows a bit of desire and want to go forward. Especially with... with when I saw Hadujanai and Scott Malone starting... I was, I was, sort of excited to see Hadouj and I start. Excited to see Scott Malone start as well, but also excited by what it meant because it kind of meant that to me it seemed that David Wagner was really going to go for it. Um, well, he said that he said as much in his press conference, didn't he? I think him and Christopher Lover both said that we've watched tape on West Brom and they're just going to sit there. Yeah. So we've got to play football. Uh, David Wagner's not the type of manager to not play football against a team. He does it when, to be honest, it's to his detriment. He'll go and play, try and play football against Tottenham and get smashed by four, but he will not put eight players at the back because he's not that type of manager. It's just one well, of those... did something similar at Liverpool. I don't think they ever had eight at the back. It was quite a defensive performance. Come on. It was defensive Come with, on, really. with a purpose. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but he was defending to try and frustrate Liverpool and score in after the 60th minute. He admitted that himself. It's not like, it's not like he he's, he was 
looking for a goal all the time. Town had one shot on goal the whole there game. There was a moment, and it was Rory, a free kick within three minutes of the game starting, where I heard this like bark, and I was wondering where it was coming from. And it turned out it was Tony Pulis because he shouts that loud that I could hear him from the kill on the bank. And I looked across, and Town were playing it out from Lossell to the centre backs as he does splitting them, dragging them back to the baseline, and and starting from there. Pulis didn't like the fact that Huddersfield were passing that high. So what he did was waved his entire back line backwards into a back five. And when, even when Huddersfield didn't have the ball within 50 yards of them, he was making sure that they were in a straight five with no advance. Yeah, that's what Tony Pulis brings you. That's it, what Tony Pulis does. It was, He's a it was abysmal. Defensive masterclass, usually. And town just picked the lock, didn't they? Well... Pick the lot, they smash one in from 30 yards into the yeah. top bins, um, which I think is probably the only way you're going to get through that sort of a team. Um, yeah, but that's that's just the way West Brom play, isn't it? Not for much longer, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but then, but who do you, if you sack Tony Pulis, who do you bring in? You want to bring in Tony Pulis at that stage? I don't know. Uh, anybody but Pulis. I Sam think. Allardyce. No. Um, please. Let's not stop having this conversation now. <laughs> it genuinely distresses me. Bad football is, you know, kryptonite. I sort of a, it makes me feel it's uncomfortable. It's good defending. Yeah, coming from a Newcastle fan, that's uh, that worked against Bournemouth, didn't it? Um, anyway, if we move on um, from that game, I don't think there's anything else from that match that we haven't spoken about that we should. No, I think we've covered most of it. Yeah. Good job. Well done, us. <laughs> <laughs> the team uh, celebrating that win with a trip to Marbella by the sound of it. Yeah, loving it. Loving <laughs> Just going a few clubs. <laughs> yeah. No carbs before yeah. Marbs. No carbs before Marbs, yeah. No, seriously though, Marbella is where, it's almost like they're second home by now. It's where they, yeah, yeah. they're constantly going in at national break. I think they've got block booking <laughs> in advance. David Varner's got a timeshare. Right yeah. Uh, second family um, but uh, they go over for one where they're training and they take yeah. the families it's it's something that they've put a lot of stock into and it's something they clearly appreciate because it lends to their togetherness it, it's a reason why the players are so close and the club has the atmosphere both on the field and off the field that it does at present yeah. it's because of trips like this and it, I know it sounds sort of um ridiculous really that you know professional people need a trip to Spain every other week to not every other week but every sort of six weeks with their families to get to know each other but in a game that can be as insular as football it's it's something that a lot of teams don't do and if they do it's a it is a very much a laddies trip to to somewhere and they might get in trouble for doing things they wouldn't do if their families were there so Mm -hmm. it's the intention behind it is is much different, um, and it's probably a positive that Huddersfield are continuing with them. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's well, it's worked in the past. It's going to work in the future, hopefully. So, yeah, it's always a, a good trip. Whenever you talk to the players when they come back as well, they're always really appreciative of it, um, especially that they're allowed to take their families as well. Because quite a lot of these trips, as you said, people aren't allowed to take their families. It's just sort of the lads going out and training every day and then sort of sitting around doing what you would do on the training ground usually. So, no, it's, it'll be a nice break for all of them. Uh, it's definitely one that they've earned after uh, the month that they've had as well. So, yeah. Didn't they... Um, didn't they, sorry. I was having a conversation with myself in my head while you were speaking and I continued it out loud. Didn't Sunderland last season go on like a club-wide trip to New York and didn't actually train or something like that? It was just the squad and at the same time, didn't they announce some redundancies within the club? <laughs> I, I can't say I've heard that, but... I think it was like a, a, massive, a, a, a massive story at the time. I think it was one of the international breaks where um, they were doing really poorly under David Moyes at the time. And I think they went to New York with the intention of it being like a bonding thing because they were that terrible. But it turned into a sort of a PR nightmare. Nightmare because they spent all this money taking everyone over to New York while people were being given the P forty fives back home. So it, it shows you that you know there are good ways and bad ways of doing this sort of thing. Yeah. And in all honesty, you know it's not cheap to send what thirty, forty people, if not more, fifty probably, given families and children and all that yeah. to Marbella. 
it's not a, a cheap place to be staying. They're not in a hostel. Um, nobody's camping, um, and that's all coming out of Dean Hoyle's pocket. And he's not the type of bloke to to pay for things he's not getting a, a fair return from. So uh, there's no real doubt in the the thinking behind that sort of a trip. Yeah. I think is is what we're trying to hear. Maybe they they should start, you know, inviting the press maybe from time to time, offering them. Uh, yeah, I think access. So. I think I'd love idea. if anyone's listening from the club. I'd love to write a feature on the Marbella training camps. So I'll, I'll get a pair of shorts on and run some laps if you want me to. I'll last about ten minutes, given that you know I was rugby league forward and we don't tend to run too many laps. But uh, I'll give it a good crack, and I'm sure I'll write a nice piece for you afterwards. But you know, I'll come out and be the photographer as well, and then yeah. Rory's really, really good at setting out cones. I mean, I'm genuinely, <laughs> I've never seen anyone who's also a level one qualified referee. Right, if you yeah. need someone to, blow <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, the internationals as well. Um, Jonas Lossel and Zankara with Denmark. I yep. think Steve Mooney's with Benin. Yep. Uh, part of his fitness recovery, uh, which is why he's not been starting, is because David Wagner essentially said he's not match fit yet, uh, which is fair enough. And Aaron Moy has got that lovely sounding trip of Honduras via Australia, so he's yeah. going to spend most of his time in a plane. Yeah, um, yeah, again. <laughs> again. And, and Lauren DeBatcher as well, who's. Uh, I forgot. Did, did genuinely, the I, big man I missed this news sport. last week. Uh, that he'd been called up. Um, and when I came back into the office and you told me it was genuinely one of the happiest moments of my life to hear that he'd been got a call up. Um, he's also been called up to my uh, fancy league team as well, so he's, I don't uh, know which one he'll hold in higher regard. That's less important, but just <laughs> to know that he's been recognised for the, the work he's done. Yeah, and I think absolutely. in Belgium he's actually thought of really highly because in that domestic league he's always been yeah. of great quality. And well, it, as well, he comes in for... I think Christian Benteke drops out, and you know who's who's had a better season so far. You, you offered me a swap between Benteke and Dupuatra right now. I'm keeping Dupuatra to be. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds ridiculous. One from a thirty million pound striker that's played for Liverpool and was so good at Villa for those years, but I'm not sure he's offering you the the no, same no, range no. of work and and things that Dupuatra does. We didn't speak about him in in terms of that West Brom game. He didn't have the greatest game, but he still ran his blood to water. So. He's fantastic for me, and uh, that did bring a very big smile to my face to see that he got an international call up because I know that'll probably mean something to him as well. Mm-hmm. The other bit of news, if it's news, it's just a fact more than anything, is that it's sort of a two year anniversary of David Wagner's yep. arrival at, at Huddersfield Town. I think, is it today? It was yesterday. Yesterday. Uh, happy anniversary for then. It's not been a mad two years, has it? <laughs> it's been. Uh... It's been pretty weird, hasn't it? I yeah. Think. Uh, good weird, obviously. Um, but one, when he joined, it just you just never thought that this could be possible, that Huddersfield Town could be 10th in the top half of the Premier League in two years' time. It's just madness. Um, so, yeah, long may it continue. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, there's, there's so many good stories from that early period of David Wagner coming in, the anecdotes that he tells about the things he had to change and the things he wasn't aware of at Huddersfield and you know the conversations he had with Dean Hoyle and everything. Um, sort of interviewing the pair of them about them getting to know each other is a, a really interesting thing to do, um, just from a professional perspective and as somebody who watches the football team, it's it's really fun. Um I think that's just about us. There's no news coming out of the club, is there? Nothing. Not really. Wider Premier League stuff. Billich has gone. Managerial movements. That's about it. Um, West Brom. We're not, we're not West Brom. They're on my head. West Ham are probably. West Ham, I think the same way about West, West Ham's boardroom as I do of West Brom's manager. Um, they are a, a continual uh, circus and. They aren't fit to run a football team. Um, obviously, the Tottenham fan, West Ham aren't my favourite club in the world, but they deserve far better than that uh, in terms of manager and owners. Um, so, you know, shape up, really. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing else? Anything else? Don't think so, no. Um, we've got some housekeeping to do. Beer 52, we'll start with that. Uh, £5.95. £24, saving £24. How many do you get in a crate? 12? Uh, 10? You can choose an 8, 10 or 12 crate. 
Raw is the expert here. He yeah. chooses the 12, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Are you still subscribed to it? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> About two or three now. Yeah. Very nice. Um, the other thing is we're going to be running another mailbag on Thursday. Thursday is going to be my last podcast as host because I'm leaving the examiner after six months and going back to freelancing, so I get to go work for myself again. Um, but yeah, um, be less articles from me here and, and whatnot. Rory, um, you don't have to cry, mate. It's, it's all right. <laughs> we can still text and things. I'm organising the party, mate. Um, so yeah, from next week, Rory will be the host of this podcast. So oh, when when it doesn't get delivered and it the entire thing's crackling and not just ninety percent of it, you know who to blame. <laughs> Please don't. Don't be tweeting. Don't be tweeting me about it after Thursday because it's not my role anymore. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll continue writing about Huddersfield elsewhere if uh, people let me. Uh, which I imagine they will now. They're a Premier League club. It was hard to sell before, but <laughs> now uh, it's different. But yeah, the mailbag on Thursday, given it's my last one here uh, and it's an international break. Just send in any questions you have about anything at all. Just life in general. Yeah, we'll we'll sort of agony on you through for anything. Uh, it'll be like, what's that one in Sun called? Dear Deirdre. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it'll be a, a bit like that, but obviously of a higher class and of a better more reputable output yeah. than the sun <laughs> I was gonna say. Uh, you know if uh, if anyone <laughs> thought that you know working for the examiner was a, a poor thing on your cv then uh, think of the poor sods that work at the sun because i don't imagine how you sleep at night but you know, that's just my opinion fired shots from <laughs> one publication <laughs> to the other uh i don't think uh i'm not gonna lose any sleep over that uh, <laughs> I'm not here next week. I'm, I'm <laughs> Thursday podcast. You're gonna have just me unfiltered, essentially. But um, that's about it. I'll speak to you on Thursday. Thursday. Looking forward to it. And we will try and fix that other podcast that doesn't work, so you can yeah. hear my pre-West Brom thoughts on how bad they are, which are much like the post-West Brom thoughts on how bad they are. I'm sure you're at the edge of your seats thinking about that. But Rory, again, I'll speak to you on Thursday. Yeah, see you then. Ik wilde alle, alle nieuwste telefoon, niet omdat het moet. Nu bij Tele2, de Huawei P20. Omdat het kan. Voor een genadeloos lage prijs. Check Tele2.nl voor de beste deal voor jou. Niet omdat het moet, maar omdat het kan.